You're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. Part two uh, of this series on being a generous home. And uh, I want to begin by sharing a bit of a story from um, when I started my journey of really understanding biblical generosity. And um, some of you may have heard this before, but I just felt prompted in the worship just to share it again. It might be helpful to someone here this morning. 22, 23 years ago, I was traveling and uh, I was in a church in Sydney in Australia. It's called Hillsong. Maybe some of you know about Hillsong. And uh, we need to pray for Hillsong because they're going through a pretty tough time at the moment. But um, that church really uh, impacted my life and um, has been very formational in terms of my discipleship over the years. And I remember going there as a, an 18-year-old and um, I'd brought 20 Australian dollars with me in my pocket. And um, the offering time came and the, they, in, where I was, they brought a bucket round. And so I was sat there and I really felt like, uh, really for the first time ever in my life, the Holy Spirit prompted me to give that $20 into the bucket, and um, the problem was is that I'd brought $20 to purchase the new Hillsong album CD, and uh, which I was really looking forward to getting, because they had a great shop there and everything, and um, so I'm like, well, no, I've got, I've got, I'm buying worship, surely, Lord, that's what you really want me to, to get, and um, and you know, the album was probably about $12, so you know, the thing about offering Buckets, you can't put 20 in and start to get some. <laughs> just hold up the row and the preacher and uh, dig in for $8. So it's either 20 or nothing, basically. That's where we were at. And so uh, I, I put it in. And um, Hillsong Church is a church in, in Sydney of about 20,000 people at that time. But uh, in, in that auditorium, they had about five or six services on a Sunday. And there's uh, three to 4,000 people uh, in, the, in the room. Remember, I'd come from the UK, so I was a guest. Um, and so I'd, I'd turned up on that Sunday. And, um, and what was amazing is at the end of the service, I was just milling around, just kind of taking it all in the atmosphere. And some random person came up to me with the album and said to me, I just felt like the Lord wanted me to give you this, so I went and bought it for you. Now this, uh, again, a bit of context, no one knew me, I'd come all across from England to Australia, and it's not like there's 10 people there. There's over 3,000 people in that room. And it reminded me once again of how the Lord sees the detail. And I know for many of us, and I include myself, we're all trawling through bills at the moment, aren't we, with the rise in, in living costs, and um, there's, a, there's a, a pain attached to that. And um, I'm sure for many of you, there's real worry and anxiety when it comes to our finances. But I just want to encourage you that the Lord sees every detail. He really does. And um, that started in me, maybe this is going to be the start of a journey for you, and I don't know if we've got any vineyard albums around, but maybe the work team start praying, um, is I went on a journey then throughout my university 
life here in Hull of, of just stepping out into that where the Lord would say, you know, I want you to do this and do that and just going on just that faith journey. And, um, you know, a lot of people say, you know, I, I'm not working, whatever, I'm living by faith. I don't know if you've heard that over the years. And I think that does a disservice to those who are working. Uh, it's not like, well, they're not living by faith. But I do think there are moments in our life and seasons and chapters where maybe God wants to teach us some lessons about discipleship. And so we see more obviously um, his blessing and his breakthrough. And as we step out, you see that, hey, I, I saw that. And I know your heart. And I, God understands everything that's going on in our finances more than we do. He, understand, he knows exactly how much we've got in the bank. <laughs> And, um, and what our struggles are. And, um, and so I just want to encourage you this morning, just let that be really an overwhelming thought before I share what I want to share, that God knows your situation right now. He knows more than anyone. And, and therefore, like I said last week, we, we shouldn't be driven by any sense of guilt or obligation when it comes to giving. Uh, you shouldn't be driven by any sense of control or manipulation. This is something that, yes, money isn't private, but it's certainly personal. And it's something between you and the Lord in your discipleship journey. And we just want to encourage you in that. We want to be your number one fans in that. And as I say, we've got a brilliant um, debt advice center with CMA. And, and, and that also helps people with budgeting as well. And so if you want to go on this journey and you're in a bit of a pickle... I said, I'd love to get some order to my finances. Then we just want to encourage you and let you know that we do have a confidential service. Mar shared that a couple of weeks ago so brilliantly, what the, him and the team are doing. It's absolutely wonderful. So we can all be assured that if you're going through something at the moment with finances, come and confidentially see them, and they can help bring some order to your finances. So today, I just want to give you really a biblical portrait of what a generous Christian looks like. And um, I've got a few facets, a few features, if you like, of what a generous Christian looks like. And I'm just going to go through these uh, with you this morning. The first one is a generous person has vision. A generous person has vision. They see beyond themselves and their own personal seed. They, they see beyond the majority. Often they look to live life beyond mediocrity and the average. They're looking to live lives which are beyond stability even, or survival for some of us. And it's more a life of significance. It's more a life of overflow. It's more of like, I wanna just not just have um, money and my needs met, but actually I wanna go beyond that. I wanna invest in the things of the kingdom and be a distribution center really for uh, God's kingdom. And he says in Proverbs 11, verse 24 to 25, I love this in the message, it says, the world of the generous gets larger and larger, but the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. And so there's a connection here, isn't there, between generosity and what we see, vision and generosity. And, and sadly, because we live in a culture, whether that's in the world or also in the church, which is so influenced by materialism and consumerism, it's made, for many of us, um, introspective and short-sighted. 
because it makes us focused on me and my needs and my world. And when we do that, our world gets smaller and smaller. But generosity somehow releases your hands and lifts up your head so that you can see the bigger picture. And not being a slave to our finances and uh, having so much anxiety about it that it's just I've got to look after myself. Generosity releases to a bigger vision, a bigger dream, a bigger picture in life. On Judgment Day, Matthew 25, verse 44, Jesus says we will be accountable for who we saw and honoured. And many who face judgment will protest, Lord, when did we see you? And he talks about being hungry or thirsty or poor or sick or lonely. And Jesus will say, that's my point. You didn't see. You didn't see those who were poor. You didn't see those who were lonely, who were on the margin of society or hungry. And the amazing thing is, and this is what I love about generosity and giving, it is first and foremost about worship. You know, we often talk about um, giving to a cause, giving to a church, but it's not about that. It's about giving first and foremost because we honor him. I want to do it because I love him. I want to worship him. This is an act of worship, which is why um, we've, we talk about giving and we sometimes do, we're going to do it later, the generosity liturgy, as part of our sung worship because it's one of the same thing. So I get to worship with our words and sing some songs, and then all later on we just pass the bucket round. No, giving is very much about our hearts and about worship. And so I really believe that when we're generous and we step into this world that we begin to get a bigger vision. Jesus said to the church in Laodicea, I counsel you to buy from me salve to anoint your eyes so that you can see. And that's what we're asking the Lord to do. Would you anoint my eyes so that I can see? I can see what is happening. Holy Spirit, what are you doing? What are you saying? I was thinking this week about how often I have just maybe lived my Christian life by what, often what can I get away with? <laughs> what is the bare minimum? What is like ticking the, the Christian box? I was thinking about the Ten Commandments, and it's like we often promote the Ten Commandments as like the great ambition of God, but it's kind of, it's not. It's just, if you don't mind, would you, would you not steal from someone? If you don't mind, could you please not kill someone? This is like the basic requirements of what it means to be a human being. That is not the great ambition of God. And so often we can take that as Christians with our giving and generosity and be really legalistic. Let, let's do just the bare minimum. Let's just do something, a little thing, just to make me feel okay. And of course, that is just the wrong heart and the wrong motivation. We've got to get beyond that. And so as a church, our vision is not this building. It's not our vision is running the various ministries and how many people we can get. Our, our vision is so much bigger than that. Our vision is to reach the whole city. Our vision is the discipling of the city and the nations. It's, it's people coming to faith. It's churches planted. It's missionaries sent from here. It's everything you heard Rachel talk about. That is why we exist as a church, if you didn't know, to hear stories like that. 
The Chinese apostle Brother Yun said this, I miss the offerings we used to give in China. On numerous occasions, the leader of the meeting would announce, we have a new worker leaving tomorrow to serve the Lord. Immediately, every single person would empty their pockets of everything that they had. And with that money, the worker would buy a train ticket or a bus ticket and leave the next day. Often this money was not just everything we had in our pockets, it was everything that we owned in the world. That's generosity. People who see the bigger picture, people who have an eternal perspective, people who have legacy on their mind, people who think generationally, it's not just about our lives, but those to come, our kids, our grandkids, that how we steward our finances, even as parents, is discipling our kids and then our grandkids and our great-grandkids. I know for my parents, their journey of generosity and, and they're two of the most generous people I've ever known is they, particularly my dad, didn't start off with um, much. You know, a lot, a lot of brokenness really. And it's been amazing to see how they've been discipled in this area. So this had a huge impact on my life. It's been a blessing to my life and therefore my kids. And every decision that we make, we must think generationally. How is, and for many, and I know this, finances can be a real trigger. It could be a trigger of a trauma. And maybe you've had some real difficulties with finances and therefore it just has such a strong emotion that most people will not understand attached to it. It's really important that we're just honest and we go on that journey and we seek to get healing and face those fears so that we can think about those who are to come, not just our world. And so when we're generous, it's about seeing beyond the majority. It's about seeing the bigger picture. When my parents became Christians in Papua New Guinea off the coast of Australia, some of the little community they were involved with, they've, they've often come um, to see my parents. And I remember a number of years ago, one of the couples came and uh, we went to Freeport, at Glass Houghton, you know, off the M62, the, the shopping outlet, and went there, and they just said, John, we want you just to pick some shoes. Just get some shoes and we'll pay for them. I was just out wandering around with them, and the problem is I couldn't find any shoes I liked. So it's a bit awkward. I felt under pressure. I need to buy some shoes. There's nothing I really liked, so I said, oh, do you know, it's okay, and you know, don't worry about it. I just, just can't find anything. And, and before they left, they gave me a little card, and I opened up the card, and in there was 100 pounds, and they said, for when you find some shoes. And I just thought, that is just, what an example of generosity. They weren't going to stop there. Oh, God, you, you mustn't have spoken to us properly because he didn't find any shoes. It's like, well, no, we'll, we'll give you some money and then when you find some. So it's about having a bigger vision. Number two, generosity is determined on cost, not amounts. And there are a couple of stunning examples of this that I just want to touch on in the Bible. One is to the Corinthian church, and uh, I'll just read the, the passage out. It says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of a very severe trial. So they're in the worst of circumstances. Their businesses have been affected because people are becoming Christians, they're facing persecution, they're being denounced by their family. And in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy 
and their extreme poverty. So there's a combination that you don't often think about. Number one, overflowing joy. So generosity brings a real joy. Overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, horrific circumstances, came together and welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. And I love that as well because I think that's a great definition of what generosity and sacrifice looks like. It's like we're going beyond even what we're able. This, this it may hurt a little bit. There's a bit of a cost there. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. So it's kind of like this. It's like us gathering together and we, we miss the moment to give you know, someone, Rachel, Josh, or Ben, someone, oh, we've forgotten to do the offering. And all of you are in absolute uproar. And you stand up, you start heckling and shouting, say, hold on, we haven't, we haven't had the opportunity and the privilege to give today. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, which is what I was saying earlier about worship, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had early made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, and I love this because we, we always want to excel in these things, don't we? In faith, and we want to excel, Lord, in speech and in knowledge and in complete earnestness and the love we have kindled in you. See, he also excels. This is something God wants us to excel in, is in the grace of giving. He wants you to be excellent in it as part of your Christ-likeness. And I love this. I'm not commanding you. It's like the worst kind of thing here. Uh, I'm not commanding. <laughs> I'm not telling you what to do, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. I think it's worse. I'd rather you just tell me what to do and test the sincerity of love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, and, and, and this is everything. I was just in worship today, and I was just thinking, Lord, why are we generous? We're generous just because of you, because of your extravagant generosity to us. We are generous, foundationally. All power and honor and glory and wealth, it says in Revelation, belongs to him. It all belongs to him. And that's the thing about everything we own, in inverted commas, belongs to him. We're just stewards of those things. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so you through his poverty might become rich. And of course then in Luke 21, the great story of the widow's might, and he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury, and he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites, so he said, Truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all, for all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God, but she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. And can you see there, it's not about amounts. It's not like I'm a millionaire, so I pop in a hundred pounds. It's not about amounts. It's about heart. It's about that lady, that widow, out of her poverty, like to the Corinthian church, out of that poverty, out of that persecution, they gave. And that is what biblical generosity looks like. Number three, generous people give of their best. And if you've, maybe just starting out reading the Bible, so maybe you haven't come across this, but 
The Bible talks a lot about giving a portion of your income to God to promote God's work in the world. And, and one of the ways God talks about this in the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, is to talk about first fruits. And so we read in Proverbs 3, verse 9, it says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. And then we read in Exodus 23, 16, Celebrate the feast of harvest with the first fruits of the crops you sow in your field. Why did God tell the children of Israel to give the first fruits of their crops and their herds? Why does God tell us to give him our first fruits? And, and, and what is lying in that is really a principle. And in the Old Testament, when it talks about giving of your first fruits, it was a tithe that was anywhere between, when you added it all up, between 10 and 30% of your income. And it was done primarily as really they recalled God's deliverance. So out of their thankfulness and gratitude, this is what they gave. So for us, it's because of what Jesus has done and his work on the cross and rescuing us is that out of that sense of gratitude and worship, we give. But it was also to give of your trust. See, in those days, um, giving of your first fruits was in a period where is between feasts and the, like, the weather was really unpredictable. And so the Israelites never knew once they offered whether there was going to be a good harvest or not. So first of all, they gave because they were thankful to God and then they gave their first fruits as an issue of trust. We're not sure what the harvest will be, but we're going to trust you, you're going to look after us, God, so we're going to give you our first fruits. And then they give of their best. So now it's, it's called first fruits. They give first in their ties to God. They give of their best. They're the first in quality, Exodus 23, 19. Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. You think about everything in life that comes first is often the most beautiful. Uh, our youngest, George, is four months and he's starting to see once again all the first little things that he's beginning to do. And he's now starting to try and um, roll over from his back onto his front and I know the next stages will be crawling and then first words and I know, think about our other kids, they're the most precious, beautiful moments. You think about the first strawberries that come up in the patch, they're the sweetest, the first tomatoes that ripen on the vine are the ones that you would enjoy the most. We want to give to God, not our leftovers, but our very best. It's, it's, it's a, there's a symmetry with what we do with our treasure, with our finances, of what that echoes with our heart. So as we give of our first, we're basically saying, God, I'm doing that because you're first in my life. That is why the very first thing for Joni and I that comes out of our bank account, despite all the bills and everything, is our giving to the church. Because we want to say, Lord, you deserve the best. You deserve the first, and we're thankful to you. And so it's yours. Everything is yours. Everything else is yours. But I know that's yours, and you're going to help us how to be generous with the rest. And so many Christians I know over the years um, have this debate, don't they, about 
we don't want to give as a tithe because it's under the law. We want to give by grace and we're going to let the Holy Spirit tell us what to give. And I always ask that question, well, if under the law you're called to give anywhere between 10 and 30%, imagine now under grace when Jesus has given us everything. What do you think the Holy Spirit would tell you now what to do? Is it to get away with the bare minimum? Is it just to give the leftovers? Or is it to live a life of discipleship where we're constantly putting Jesus first in our lives? Jesus didn't tithe his life to us. He didn't tithe his blood to us. He literally gave everything to us. And when we're caught up in that sense of seeing who he is on the throne and what he's done for us, you know, I've always, always had this mindset is that everything that Jesus has done for me, if I have nothing else that kind of comes my way in terms of what would be tangible blessings in this life and in this world, it, I will always be eternally thankful. We'll always be in debt to him. We'll always be just, we're just going to worship and live for him, sold out with what he has done for us. I've got a couple more, but I'm just going to do one more, and then I've, I've, got, uh, I've asked Josh to just come up and, and just share a little bit. Generosity isn't sporadic, but consistent. And again, I, I, I don't know where it's come from, but I, I think there's a, there's a line of thinking often in the church that generosity has to be something that is almost uh, impulsive, you know, we felt the urge to give, so we gave. And there are times like that, especially when the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. But since that time in Australia, I've tried to live a life where for the last 23 years, is it not make generosity to be something that is momentary or an impulse or whether I feel like it, but is actually building a track record of putting God first, of placing my trust in him, because if we do it, he's forming his character in me. And I've realized is, is if we have that as a baseline of regularity and habit and of discipleship, then it actually releases you to be much more open to impulsive and sporadic generosity. Just as you're going about everyday life. Maybe you're at the, the shops and you want to buy that person behind you in the, at the till, you want to buy their shopping or whatever that it looks like for you. You want to buy someone a coffee at a, at a local coffee shop. You, you're out for a meal and you just see this couple and you think, yeah, I just want to bless them with a meal and I'm going to pay their bill. Whatever that looks like, I guarantee that whole world of generosity will be much more open to you and obvious to you if you build into your life, a framework of not sporadic giving, but actually this is just something I do routinely. This is just something that is forming in my life. And so I really believe that generous people are people who intentionally plan their giving. Intentionally, they think about it, they pray about it, they discuss it, they plan their budgets around it. They think about 
wisdom and about financial margin in their life. That actually you recognize that, hey, if I do A, B, and C, that means that maybe I can't have the margin to be generous this month or this year. And so I think it's not something we could leave to chance. It's not something where we feel the urge. But as Christians, as disciples, I, I think we're formed and shaped mainly by our habits. Good choices and, and, and those habits form character because they happen day in, day out. And so it's just something who we become. It's just something who we are. We're not looking to, Lord, please help me try and be a little bit more generous. It's just something who we're becoming because we've formed a habit in our lives. So just a few things of what I see as a, a kind of a biblical portrait of a generous person. I'd love to invite uh, Josh, because he's going to share a little bit about practically how do we step into uh, a moment of generosity. Thank you. That was so good, wasn't it? Goodness me. You just sense the presence of the Lord in the room? No, just me. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd love to just share a couple of really simple thoughts on this and um, on the adventure of generosity. And, uh, and, and we're going to worship a little bit more and... Um, struck me this week how throughout Scripture, throughout the whole of the Bible, time and time again, as John has already alluded to this morning, God marks and elevates moments and lives of radical generosity. Whether it was a widow who put a, a coin, a penny in, or a young, a young boy who offered his lunch to Jesus, or the early church who would sell property, uh, the book of Acts says, to give to the apostles, lay the money at their feet so that God could move. We still retell those stories, don't we? We still hear moments and lives of radical generosity. Generosity leaves a legacy. Generosity and giving makes a, an indelible mark on the world, whether we realize it or not. What we do in the secret place behind closed doors when no one else is watching with our money leaves a legacy beyond ourselves. And actually, I believe that the story of our church and how we continue to grow in generosity will be talked about for generations to come. How we are giving in this season and as we continue to grow in the grace of generosity, we're going to leave a mark on our city that everyone will look at and go, wow, that is something about those Christians that means they're radically generous. How is that possible? So where, where do we start with the generosity thing? Well, notice the amounts of the three things that I spoke about. A penny, a lunch, and a house. John already said this, but um, actually, amount is not the most important thing to start with. It's about a heart that is aligned with the kingdom. A great question to ask is, okay, Lord, what is in my hand today? And how can I more fully allow Jesus to be Lord over this. God loves generous people because when we're generous, we step into his story, we embody his heart and we release his kingdom. And I am convinced that the key to seeing revival come in our city in greater measures for the church, for me, 
for every single one of us to move to a place of more radical generosity where we more fully give our lives and our time and our attention and our money away for the sake of our city. Where we're no longer content to simply consume, but actually our posture becomes sacrifice. Where the needs of others overrides our desires for comfort. Where we stand in resistance against a world consumed with consumerism and materialism. Generosity is warfare against that world. So what would it look like for every single one of us just to take the next step in generosity towards the heart of God, towards our city? And John said this, but we would never, as leaders, ask you to do something that we are not doing and consistently doing. Many of us Um, Well, as leaders, we give at least 10% of our pre-tax income to this house, to this church. But let me encourage you, as if you're new to the generosity thing, just start somewhere. Just start somewhere. Remember that all of this is invitation from Jesus to grow in a grace. So if you would like to begin giving, uh, let me show you three ways that you can do that. Uh, We should have a, uh, yeah, so... Let's do the first one. You can text. 21st Century Church, you can text. And you may, as, as John said, be overcome with a deep desire to give. Right now, you can do that just here as we, as we sit. You can text to give. Next up, uh, you can give in person. A lot of people come uh, and want, like the feel of money, kind of the, the cost of saying goodbye to something and putting it in that white box over there at the back. Uh, Or you may decide um, to set up a standing order. Uh, That is the way that Hannah and I uh, choose to give. Um, It means that, as John said, we're not relying on impulse, but actually it's just part of our every day, every month, every kind of week life that we know money goes out and and it's all sorted. Uh, So that is the details for standing order if you would like to um, begin the journey of generosity or increase your giving or anything like that. Now, we are committed as a church to uh, being transparent with our finances, our trustees, and uh, those that work in in the finance department um, have prepared some beautifully designed information for you. So this is going to be sent out on Tuesday. It is essentially a brochure, a bit of an update on all things finances, what we are using to spend our money, money's coming in, everything like that, money that's going out. We are committed to being transparent with that. Now, that will be emailed out to everyone in the church through church news on Tuesday. So, if you have not yet signed up for church news, now is an incredible time to do that. You can head to our website, wholevineyard.co.uk, and you can sign up to Church News and then expect on Tuesday some riveting information, which I promise you will surprise you because it'll be, it'll be awesome. So that is happening there. Um, we're we're going we're to worship a little bit more. Generosity is worship, um, and so we're going to kind of move to a place of, so if, could I invite the band back up? I don't, I don't think I told you this. Um, and uh, when you come, just get set up. We're going to worship a little bit more. But, but before we do, we're going to pray a prayer, um, which we call our giving liturgy. And uh, the heart behind this is really just almost to speak truth over our minds with regards our 
uh, a perspective of generosity. So why don't you stand, guys? Why don't you stand? We're going to say this prayer together. Maybe Joe could put something down in the key of E. And, uh, and then we're going to just move to a time of worship and, uh, and praying for one another. And I could have the words up. Why don't we just pray this prayer together and declare it over our lives and over our church. Holy Father, there is nothing I have that you have not given me. All I have and am belong to you, bought with the blood of Jesus. To spend everything on myself and to give without sacrifice is the way of the world that you cannot abide. But generosity is the way of those who call Christ their Lord, who love him with free hearts and serve him with renewed minds, who withstand the delusion of riches that chokes the word, whose hearts are in your kingdom and not in the systems of the world. I am determined to increase in generosity until it can be said that there is no needy person among us. I am determined to be trustworthy with such a little thing as money that you may trust me with true riches. Above all, I am determined to be generous because you, Father, are generous. It is the delight of your daughters and sons to share your traits and to show what you are like to all the world. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Hall Vineyard Podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash connect. And stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church. Go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon.